Let's turn back to Genesis 2. In the back of your bulletin is our outline for today's message. Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25, the importance and blessings of marriage. I think it's a sad tendency on subjects like this, sadly probably on many subjects, that our tendency is to focus on what's wrong. What do people believe wrong? What do people do wrong? We need to do that, for sure. But a couple points along that line. First point is, well, you need to know what's true. First of all, you need to know what's true so that you can identify correctly and you can assess error. So you need to know the truth. But a second thing, too, is focusing on error alone, it really doesn't edify, it doesn't equip, and it doesn't, it doesn't encourage the saints. It is necessary. The saints must be warned. But it's kind of like, well, good physical health. Good physical health doesn't ignore the dangers, but the majority of good physical health, it's supposed to be on, well, your exercise, the food you eat, the amount of water, rest, and things like that. Anybody under conviction about good physical health right now? You get my point. If all we focused on was cancer, disease, death, I mean, what's that do to your, if you will, your, your countenance? It's just kind of like, eh. Is there any hope for life and for health? And there is. And so I want to, this day, to focus on the truth of the importance and the blessings of marriage. The United States of America in 1914 officially recognized the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Uh, when it was first uh, promoted or put forth, Congress said, they said, no, we're not going to do that. They set it off. He's, they said, if we're going to have a Mother's Day, then we're going to have to have a Mother-in-Law's Day. And, you know, it just kind of uh, didn't go. But eventually, through much pressure, Woodrow Wilson eventually proclaimed that. Why should we give thanks for our moms? Why should we, in a month or so, give thanks for our dads? Because it glorifies God. Because we should be thankful. And because it edifies the church. Chapter 2 of Genesis is an expansion of the sixth day of creation. That's important to understand. Chapter 1 tells us about each of those creation days. You get to chapter 2. Moses says, I'm going to give a lot more information now about that sixth last day of creation where God made man. The top of your sheet there, or the top of your bulletin, I state the basic idea that we need to get from this passage, that God created marriage so that mankind would do God's will. Some truths that we need to see from this. Number one, as I state there, God's assessment of the man was that he needed help. And the women will say, amen, they sure do need help. Well, I want you to remember, Adam was without sin. He was without sin. Look with me at verse 18. The Lord God said, after he formed man from the ground and, and breathed life into him, and he became a living being, chapter 1 tells us, it is not good that a man should be alone. 
It is not good. That is the infinite, perfect, holy God's assessment of what he just made. It is not good that man should be alone. Now, this doesn't mean God made a mistake. What's being intended here is that God's creative work was not done yet. This is still the sixth day, okay? So far, after each creative work, what was God's conclusion? After the end of each day, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, he said, behold, it was good. It is good. Look with me at verses 19 to 20. I'm sorry, I didn't read the rest of verse 18. So the Lord said, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Let's stop and make a very quick well, rabbit trail here. Why do we call them rabbits? Adam named them that, right? Because Adam spoke in English. No. I want you to understand all this happened on the sixth day. The day was not done yet. Woman had not been made yet. And God caused all these animals to go by and how much sin did Adam have affecting his ability to think and process information? He had none. None. We have a college student, well, a former, a former college student. She graduated. We have some college students who are taking their exams now. Can you imagine having perfect intellect? I mean, it'd be better than Spurgeon having that photographic memory. Here's Adam, and he could look at an animal, and he assessed it, and he gave it a name. Remember, a name is not just John Doe, okay? It is a description giving an accurate representation of that, and it was perfect. And he did this, they're just coming through in a cycle. Here comes two more, and two more, and two more, okay? Aardvark, uh, ant, uh, and so on, all the way through. Cat, dog problems. But as Adam did this, his assessment was that nothing living that he saw provided what he needed. Not even the cat or the dog provided what Adam needed. What he needed, God said at the end of verse 18, was first a helper. Now, what's meant by this? Well, what's not meant by this is a sidekick. What's not meant by this is a servant. And definitely not a doormat. This is a word that is used many times of the Lord himself, especially in the Psalms. The Lord is my helper. He is our help. Adam needed this, except he needed this Someone on his level. The next word is comparable to him. In other words, a matching pair. He needed a matching, someone who would match him specifically. And as the animals paraded before him, he saw nothing in the animal world provided what he needed. Nothing in the animal world provided what he as a man needed. 
And conversely, nothing in the animal world will provide what the woman needs. And God provides this through marriage. He provides this through marriage. No animal can be a matching pair, a comparable helper. This is not a sermon against pets. It is an observation. It is what God says here. None was found. Number two, God created the man's. God created the man's needed complement. Some truths here. The first one is real quick because it's obvious. God created the man first. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that's exactly what happened. So number two, let's move on. God created woman. God created woman. Woman's similarities to man, he, she yet has differences from man. But those similarities and those differences are perfectly and specifically created by God so that they would be a, here's that expression again that I'll repeat many times, they would be a perfectly matching pair for one another. And we must rejoice in this. This is before sin entered into the world. This is God's good gift for man and woman. She was made in the image of God. So God saw this need that Adam had to fulfill his God-given responsibilities, his ex, God's expectations for him. And God said, it is not good that a man be alone. And so I want you to get what happened here. Who is God? We've learned this over the years. You remember? Let's say it together. God is the infinite and perfect spirit in whom all things have their source, supports, and end. So God is, first of all, what? Infinite. Here is this God who is infinite in his wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and perfectly apply it. God has infinite wisdom. He sees this issue. And he says with his infinite wisdom, this is what you need. He made the perfect match. God, with his perfect knowledge and assessing everything that Adam was and everything that Adam needed to be that perfect match, he created Eve, his wife, this woman. God, with his limitless power, I mean, he had nothing holding him back. He had infinite ability to apply, to accomplish his purpose and design, his power. And what did he make for the man? He made a woman. And this was God's perfect, perfect answer to Adam's need. God created how many women for Adam? One. Why? Why only one? You don't need to get in the Hebrew for this. You don't need a PhD in theology to accomplish the reason why. Why only one woman? Because that's all that was needed. Because there were how many men? One man. What did Adam need to have a helper comparable to him? He didn't need five women. He didn't need two women. He needed what? One woman. And God provided exactly, precisely, perfectly what Adam needed. God did not create another man. 
what was needed? A helper comparable to him. Do you remember the phrase I've repeated a couple times? He needed a matching pair. He did not need an identical pair. A matching pair was needed, not an identical pair. Why not? Because an identical pair would not meet the need. You know what it would accomplish? It would only double the problem. Not because, oh no, now we've got two men running around, and men, you know, are just kind of klutzes and need women. Remember, this is before sin. God considered man, verse 18, it's not good that man be alone. What did man need so that he was not alone in his companionship, in the accomplishment of his God-given purposes? It wasn't another man because that wouldn't fit the bill. It was woman. This is God's creation. And so, number three underneath that, God created the woman for the man to complement him exactly and precisely. Remember, a matching pair, not an identical pair. So let's dig into this a little bit more. In what way was this an exact and precise complement? Well, first of all, physically. Adam was a, well, he was made from dust. And so here's this woman, here's this person, this one that God has provided that corresponded to him, but yet was different from him. She was not different in substance. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. God didn't go and take some more dirt. He didn't go and take some flesh from an animal. He took something from Adam because she was to be needed to be, to be his helper, to be his complement, to be that matching pair. She needed to be of, of the same physical substance, his rib, the same stuff, if you will. Remember some months ago when it made news that uh, this man who was on the verge of dying was given a, a pig's heart and he lived for a few months? How, how did that work out? Not long. He's, he's gone to his eternal reward, as one of my teachers would say. God didn't give man a dog. He gave man a woman made from him exactly what he needed. Not inferior, complementary, matching. So what's the result? The result is verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Here's the result. They shall become one flesh, a matching pair, a helper suitable, comparable, complementary, exactly what's needed. Not only physical, complementary, but mentally and emotionally. These are aspects of the being made in God's image. Um, we sang about this, actually. Let me find my bulletin. Uh, in our gray hymnal on For the Beauty of the Earth. I don't know if you caught this in uh, number 46. But in the fifth stanza, it says, For the joy of ear and eye, for the heart and mind's delight, and it said, for the mystic harmony linking sense and sound and sight. Um, do dogs have eyes and ears? Yeah, they do. And what do they do? They go, woof. Okay. If you do that dinging loud enough and you compare it with uh, a time to eat, what will the dog associate the ding sound with? It's time to eat. Pavlov's dog. Remember that? Okay. What's the difference between a dog and a human being? It is the image of God. We're seeing the same things. 
We're hearing the same things, but the difference is, is that God has made you in his image to think rationally, to relate to God, to use our senses, this mystic harmony, it said there, this, uh, these senses so that we uh, take them in, we respond as we ought, we make plans and we act. And the woman was no less made in the image of God than man was. They're complete. They're exactly and precisely according to God. Let's consider, before we keep moving on here, uh, some of these differences physically, mentally, and emotionally between man and woman. Let's consider some of these differences. So they're alike, but yet they're differences. So in what way are they different? And everybody's starting to get in eggshells right now. Don't worry, this is a public setting. I'm not going to say anything wrong. I'm going to speak truth. So truth number one, man is ugly, woman is beautiful. And women say, amen. Truth number two, she is called the better half. So what does that make man? The other half. Let's get more serious now. Uh, man has physical strength. It doesn't mean that the woman doesn't have any physical strength. But the man is physically stronger. Uh, the woman has physical tenderness. This is a compliment. That is not weakness as we are taught to think of. This is how God perfectly made this couple to be. Man leads, the woman supports. And sadly, sin doesn't want to accept that. Man tends to think in black and white, don't we men? Women think in, well, to go back to the 50s, technicolor. We just need to do this. Well, let's look at it from 157 different angles. How was your day, honey? Fine. Boy, do I want to ask my wife how her day was? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I, I, think I, I think I've got the time. How was the second half of your morning today? You know? You know, this is, this is just how God made us. And praise the Lord for that. Because what would happen if it was just a bunch of men in this world? Hi, get over it. Be tough. Don't be such a, you know, a weakling. God made us the way we are so that we would help and complement, be comparable, a matching pair. And praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord for this. God created woman for man to complement him exactly and precisely uh, for the God for the work that God gave Adam. Remember, all these animals go by him. Nothing was found that would be able to help him in his work. Um, can horses be a help in man's work? Oh yeah, watch the watch the Amish uh, plow their fields. Can cows be a help in man's work? Can pigs be a help in man's work? You might say, I'm not seeing that. Let me just say one word: bacon. That is a help in man's work, okay? Um, they can, in that sense, help with man's work, but they cannot truly help because they are not of the same character and they're not of the same constitution. Remember, they're hearing the same things, they're seeing the same things, but when it gets to that pig brain, what happens? Oink, feed me. That's it. 
when it comes to the mind of the husband or the wife, they're working together to accomplish the God-given purposes. That is God's creation there. To accomplish God's given work. Another reason God created woman for man to complement him exactly and precisely is to have children and fill the earth. Chapter 1. God said, be fruitful and fill the earth. What do you need for that? You need a complement. You need a matching pair. Because men by themselves cannot have women. Well, can't have women. Can't have children. Women by themselves cannot have children. That's why there was the need for marriage. This is a result. This is an effect of that one flesh relationship. Verse 25. Otherwise, if this did not happen, what would have happened? Humanity would have had a, well, a solo run. It would have been a a one and done instance. And that would have been just Adam. But that was not God's plan. God's plan was for them to have children. To accomplish that, he needed a woman. And after all this, what was Adam's response? Verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam joyously responded. He'd just seen every animal walk by. Every one of them. And his response after this deep sleep and God doing the surgery and taking from him was, finally, one like me. Finally, one who's a partner. One who's for me. A companion. My match. A match. Animals may be great, but they do not. And they cannot correspond physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. God made animals to serve humanity, not to be equal partners. Main point number three, God established the family. So look back to chapter 1, verse 28. In verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Look at verse 28. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Go back to chapter 2, verse 24. We're seeing this truth that God established the family. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How do I know that God established the family here? Well, two particular phrases. First phrase in verse 28, chapter 1. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. What does that require? That requires a man and a woman joined together in marriage. That requires more human beings. You've got to fill the earth. You need more human beings. And God ordained that to occur through a man and a woman in marriage. A second phrase is in verse 24, where it says, A man shall leave his father and mother. What's the implication? The man was the child of his father and mother. And you might be scratching your head saying, I'm here for this. Of course a child comes from his father and mother. 
Folks, this is what God created. This is truth that he's given here that we need to grasp. Uh, This details the basics of a family. A father, a mother, and a child. The basics of a family. Children to fill the earth and subdue it. This was something that more than Adam could do. He was incomplete. He needed help to do it. And that was not good, God said. Fill the earth. You can't do it by yourself. This isn't good. I will provide you with a helper, suitable, comparable, a complement, a matching set so that you will accomplish this. Father and mother needed to not only have children, but they need to teach those children. They need to train those children. They need to rear them to accomplish the purpose that God gave mankind. This isn't just having a bunch of rabbits. Any rabbit can do that. We as human beings made in God's image, we are not just to have babies, but we are to take those children born, conceived and born in the image of God and train them up in the way that they should go. To do so in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. And all our lives are supposed to be dedicated and devoted to that. So in the family, when it talks about the father and the mother here, the father, who is he and what does he do in the family? He is the head. He is the head. And he is to love, to lead, to protect, to teach, and to provide. What about the mother? She is to help. She is to help by loving and caring, teaching, and conserving. Number four, God established the pattern for human life, verse 24, that we just read. This is the pattern for human life. And this is why moms and grandmas cry at weddings. My baby's leaving. Leave father and mother. What's being talked about here is that this man and this woman who have are leaving their father and mother, they are no longer under their parents' jurisdiction. Does this mean you don't have to love your mom? You don't have to honor your mom and your dad once you get married? No. You need to love your mom. You need to honor them. But you are now a separate, independent unit. A separate and independent unit. I'm going to give you a little something to look forward to in the wedding in a few weeks. I'm going to come back to this point here, okay? And I'm going to talk about this directly to parents and in-laws here. They are now a separate independent unit. I'm not worried about you, okay? But this needs to be understood because sometimes that is not understood. That when that, that daughter and that son leave, that the parents have difficulty letting go of that influence, that control that they had. They are now an independent unit on their own. They're joined to a wife or a husband. They're unified. They form a new family unit. They shall be one flesh. A new family unit. They shall be one flesh. When a man leaves his father and mother to be with a woman, that involves marriage. That's why they leave. That's why they leave. The point is that this new family unit, it is lifelong 
and how it lasts. So I didn't see that in the text there. So, well, this is how Jesus understood it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. What God has joined together, but no man put asunder. You might say, well, the Bible talks about divorces. Hold on. Remember, we're in Genesis 2 right now. This was God's creation of marriage before sin. We're focusing on the truth. And when you know the truth, then you will understand and be able to identify and work through sin and error and its effects, okay? Living together as a man and wife because God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Living together as husband and wife because God said Adam and Eve needed each other. Living together as husband and wife because God established marriage so that there would be children. One of the questions I ask a couple that comes to me and says, we'd like you to perform our wedding, and I've just done this twice so you can get some idea how recent this is. Uh, I ask a few questions that these will be deal-breaking questions in my mind. One of those questions is, do you look forward to and anticipate having children? If that engaged couple said, no, we do not want children, I will not perform the wedding. Why? This is part of God's plan. Now, what if they can't have children? That's a different matter, isn't it? What does the Lord do with the womb? He opens it, and he can also do what? He can close it. That's, that, that's not a judgment on that, on that wife. That is an, a, sad, a sad effect of sin. It's also the work of God there. We need to recognize this is something important, essential. One flesh also, yes, talks about physical intimacy. And I want you to see when that happens. God's plan for that in verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That physical intimacy is only to occur after he leaves his father and mother. And when he is joined to his wife. But it's not just physical intimacy. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's intellectual unity. You have two people harnessed together, united as one. One last thing here. This was a public event. This was a public event. A man shall leave his father and mother. This was something that the community knew about. It's publicly, publicly declaring, we're leaving, mom and dad. And I'm going to be devoted and committed to this person for the rest of my life. Number five, the marriage bond is honorable. The marriage bond is honorable. Verse 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the part where junior hires start to giggle, isn't it? But it's also said in the negative, they were not ashamed. And so I put it in a positive. The marriage bond is honorable. This is a positive way of saying they were not ashamed. It was honorable. It was upright. It was moral. It was virtuous. It was above board. It was faithful. Everything, everything about that relationship between a man and a woman in this sense is being talked about here. And what did God say about this? What did God say about this? After he made man and after he made woman, chapter 1, and this was all done,
I lost my place. Well, God said it was very good, wherever that was. I can't find it off the top of my head. I'm sorry? Verse 31. Thank you. God saw everything that he made. Indeed, it was very good. That is God's assessment of this. That's God's assessment of chapter 2, verse 25. We don't think that way now, do we? Why? Because of sin. But it doesn't change the fact right now, right now, when a husband and wife are married, it is very good when they are together. Everything honorable about it, everything moral about it, faithful, upright, good. Implied in this is marital intimacy. Nothing to be ashamed of. Everything good and honorable about it in the context of marriage. And that continues throughout their relationship. Sadly, you read chapter 3, and what happened? They ate the fruit, and what was the first thing that they noticed? That they were naked. And this wasn't, and their assessment, honorable. That is an effect of sin. Last, number six, God's creation of marriage was very good. There it is, verse 31. It was very good. Everything that God does is exactly as it should be. Exactly as it should be. He's the standard of right and wrong. There were no faults, no mistakes, no problems. It couldn't be improved on because God's perfect. He gave Adam and Eve to one another. That's exactly what was needed for God to glorify, for God to be glorified and it to be very good. Very good. But sadly, terribly affected by sin. But you know what? Though sin has terribly affected marriage because it terribly affects us, it does not change the fact and the truth that God created marriage and God created the family. So how do we respond and what do we do? We praise the Lord for what he's provided. You need to be born again so that you can have the marriage you should have and the family that should be there. You need to follow God's instructions that he gives in the word. And I, 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 I challenge you to think through all the different problems, perversions, uh, issues that come as a result of sin in relation to marriage, gender, and all that. When you understand chapter 2, you will rightly understand all those problems. You'll see it. It's like knowing the original that they teach bankers. Know the original, and then you will see what's wrong. I titled this message, The Importance and Blessings of Marriage. And I gave almost all my time here to laying the groundwork. This was all the front porch. We have another 45 minutes to go. But since we're not having an afternoon service, I'm just going to keep plowing on. No, I won't do that because we have a roast at home too. So what I did is I'm going to walk through quickly some of the points of the importance of marriage. Because I'm going to walk through it quickly, I didn't give you any place to write these down. I printed these out, and I'll have those in the back table for you, okay? The importance and blessings of marriage. Through marriage, God provides that a man and woman do not need to go through life alone. God's greatest gift to Adam was Eve. Number two, 
the marriage of a man and woman is God's perfect, very good arrangement. Think about that word, marriage. It's a uniting word, isn't it? Marrying together. That is God's very good provision. Number three, marriage is necessary for human life. It is necessary for human life. Number four, God created the pattern. Genesis 2, he provides us with a pattern. The pattern for normal human life. The pattern for men and women to leave and to cleave. The pattern for creation order, for the whole, for marriage, for family, and the church. 1 Timothy 2 that you'll read about this week. Number five, a husband and a wife are God's match for each other's needs to do God's work and to have children. They are God's match. Number six, through marriage, God gives a husband and a wife the joys of physical, emotional, and intellectual intimacy and unity. Yes, I use the word joys. Can sin affect that? It sure does. Can it truly be a joy? It can absolutely. In fact, we have an entire book of the Bible devoted to it. Song of Solomon is not about some allegory about Christ's love for the church and vice versa. It is about the love, the joy of this one flesh relationship in every aspect of their being between a husband and a wife. That's what Song of Solomon tells us about. Last number seven. God created marriage so that there would be families to glorify God by doing what God gave them to do. And that's something we need to pray for our families. Does sin affect it? It sure does. Is there hope? There sure is. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in his word. So never lose hope. Always look to Christ. Always obey his word. Let's pray.